Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 466. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, and I'm doing a little dance in my chair because I'm excited to get going. Yeah, we're doing it! Uh, Lorraine, congratulations. It's October, start of spooky season. I know you're a big fan. Oh my gosh, I have been deep into spooky season i made fall wreaths i made an apple spice cake with caramel frosting last night i watched five of my favorite halloween films um and that was technically september when i started all of that so i'm really in deep i'm gonna watch elvira tonight i'm i'm pumped hell yeah also happy birthday Catherine grace Thank you. She would say thank you if she wasn't uh, in the middle of her meltdown because uh, it was just <laughs> one of those mornings this morning. And that's OK. She yeah, her first birthday was September 30th, which is wild. And then what's fun, you know, with adoption, you have like two really special days. Uh, you have the child's birthday and then you have the come home day. We haven't figured out what we're going to call it. I keep thinking like family day. Because it's the day where, you know, we met her and we brought her home and that's October 15th. So we get to celebrate twice in a very short span of time and it's pretty wonderful. And she is just, she's the best. She's such a great baby. Isn't your wedding anniversary between those two dates? Oh, yeah. October 3rd. So tomorrow, (laughs) the date of the really, you know, uh, it's one of those things like, what's the priority? Baby's priority. Everything else will fall together. It is what it is. We're we're having a great time. Um, yeah, all that's going on. And um, I wanted to ask, what are your? The, you said five of your, you know, spooky fall Halloweeny movies. What are those five that you already watched? So I started with my nostalgia movies, which are mostly just kids movies. So I watched Hocus Pocus, which is on Disney Plus right now. Highly recommend. I watched The Witches. I watched The Craft. I started to watch Invisible Man, which is not a kid's movie, and I found it too traumatic. I had to turn it off. I will resume later. I watched them all so quickly while I was doing crafts. I don't remember. What What were the other ones? Now that's going to bother me. I was talking to Tucker, and he said he watched Tucker, my co-host for uh, Marvel's Pull List. He said he watched for the first time ever Halloween 3, which is one of my favorite movies oh. uh, to watch during this season. And I think it's, it's so great. I don't know. I, I have a hard time watching horror these days because, like... Real life is so terrifying and also like the anxiety over you start to put your significant other and your child, or at least I do, in all the situations. And it's like, I, no, no, I just want to watch like fun things. Although we just watched the um, Jurassic World cartoon on Netflix, Camp Cretaceous, which is terrific and really intense it was great it was a lot of fun if you like dinosaurs and the jurassic movies it, like how it weaves it into the jurassic world movie was a lot of fun anyway we should talk <laughs> about some marvel stuff because this is the show where we talk about what's happening this yeah. week in marvel from games comics movies tv whatever and before we started recording our intrepid producer persia she was like this is a news heavy week and she ain't wrong lorraine what's up top First up, we've got a new trailer for Marvel 616 that just dropped this week. Um, It is going to be an epic documentary series, and it has a bunch of differing subjects, and each episode is going to be helmed by a different director. And the series itself is going to drop on Disney Plus on November 20th, which is so soon. Um, But you can watch the trailer right now, and 
You'll catch a bunch of familiar faces from the Marvel fam in it for sure. You're going to see Dan Slott, wonderful writer, uh, C.B. Sobolski, our editor-in-chief. You're going to see uh, Sana Amanath, one of our wonderful friends, and a lot of other great people. Oh, you'll also look out for me and Ryan. You you will see us somewhere, at least lurking in the background, if not talking right to camera. Yeah, you get to talk. I just get to mug somewhere in the background every once in a while, which is kind of the best. Me just like cameoing is a, a dumb face. It's good. Uh, what's going on with games? There's a bunch of games this this week. Oh, yeah. It's a big one for Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales, which everybody knows is coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 in November. But we just announced this week that a voucher code for Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered will be included with the Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition on PlayStation 5. This is going to be great. It's a full next-gen remastering of the original Marvel Spider-Man game, and they've been going through, like the team at Insomniac has been going through and really making this the definitive version of the game. We've got Mm -hmm. new assets and technology going into it, lots of updates. What they're doing is like saying, okay, the PlayStation 5 is this super a mega awesome powerful machine so they're going to take advantage of all this next gen technology that the console is bringing to uh, to bear and they're going to actually even add some additional features to the game including three new suits and all kinds of refinements one of the cool things is uh like basically near instant loading yeah this to me was like what i die a lot like I just die a lot when I play video games because I am not cautious. Yes. Um, and then you have to sit out your punishment. So this is very exciting to me. Yeah. So it'll take care of that stuff. But also like there's the the fast travel stuff where you have Spidey take the subway, but you can still keep the subway animations, which are hilarious of like Spidey riding the subway, looking at his phone mm-hmm. as they was like the loading screen. They'll still keep those in there. You can turn those back on if you want them. There'll be this cool spatial 3D audio. If you have the right headphones, they'll have uh, they'll take advantage of the brand new PlayStation 5 DualSense controller because it has new haptic feedback and adaptive triggers. There's a you know new photo mode stuff. And uh, a lot of that is like technical stuff. If you are not super deep into what's coming for the next gen consoles all I'll say is it's going to make it even cooler and like a lot even more fun which is going to be tough but they're doing it and then there's a brand new track suit designed by artist and friend of the show javier garon it's going to be for uh marvel's spider-man miles morales and it's going to be a miles costume and it looks really really cool it's um it looks sort of similar to miles morales's iconic costume um, but he has like a large swath of white down the center, and it's really, really distinct from his other costumes, which I think is cool because when that first game came out, um, you know, the Spider-Man look was so iconic to that game. I think this is going to be a really cool, iconic turn for this version of Miles in this game. Yeah, and Javier has been drawing the Miles Morales Spider-Man comic for a while, and um, it's really cool. On the website, we have like the designs for the suit and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you have the PS4 version of Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales and you want to upgrade to the PS5, when you get a PS5, you can do all that. There'll be information in the menu to download it, um, all kinds of stuff. You could read all about it on Marvel.com. And reminder, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales is available on November Yay, so much, so much. Um, Speaking of cool, fun things, there's going to be a Marvel Unlimited Plus kit. So if you haven't joined Marvel Unlimited yet, you should absolutely do that. If you're a listener of, of this show, it's 
honestly silly that you do not have the subscription service <laughs> because you can read tens of thousands of comics that are available digitally online. It gives you access to pretty much most of the Marvel library of comics. It's it's truly wild. And if you get the Marvel Unlimited Plus subscription, you get a Marvel Unlimited Plus kit, and that has um, an exclusive limited edition Hasbro Marvel Legends Ms. Marvel in the Spider-Man costume. So that's a really cool thing that I have not seen anywhere. You also get an Iron Man 2020 number one, John Tyler Christopher uh, blueprint variant. And you also get an Iron Man 2020 number two, Salvador La Roca variant, uh, as well as an exclusive Stark Unlimited logo patch and an exclusive Iron Man unmasked by Scotty Young pin you know those cute little scotty young pins i got a million mm-hmm. of them but I know. they have a bunch of cute fun cool exclusive merch in that kit and you get it for signing up and if you haven't already oh my oh my goodness like you should just do that because you can go back and read like every comic and new stuff yeah. is added all the time and if you are a like monthly subscriber to marvel unlimited you should 100% be doing the Marvel Unlimited Plus. It's $99 for your first year. You get all this stuff plus Marvel Unlimited. It's a super great deal. Like that's not even, we're not, we don't have a paid sponsorship no. to do, <laughs> we're to just talk about talking it. about it. Like legit, it's the best. It's really, really good. Um, But be sure to check it out at marvel.com slash unlimited if you have not signed up already. Um, all right. There was, as we mentioned, the Hasbro PulseCon this past week. There was some, Uh, Marvel reveals and some Star Wars reveals, but most importantly, um, let's go through some of the Marvel reveals from Hasbro's PulseCon. Uh, We've got new Gamerverse figures from Marvel's Avengers. We've got a Hellfire Club. We've got a Kang figure, a Silk figure. These, uh, those are some new Marvel Legends figures. And then there's a -A Build-A-Figure for that wave, which is Joe Fixit, aka Sweet Sweet Grey Hulk in his cool pinstripe suit. Let's see. uh, For Marvel Legends stuff, there's a brand new, like, pretty much life-size Stormbreaker. Yeah. Which is, I mean, come on. It's modeled after Thor's Hammer from Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. And it has battle sounds. And it's going to be freaking cool. All the photos of it. I mean, I want one of those to put behind me when we do videos. Yeah. Just to be like, don't make me grab the hammer. You know, I'll say it just like that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, when we have, there's also a brand new line of three and three quarter inch Marvel Legends retro figures. Yeah. Uh, and these are cool. They got like a, almost like a Secret Wars vibe from mm-hmm. the old, old Secret Wars toy line. And these are two packs. In the two packs, you're going to be able to get Captain America and Black Panther, Iron Man and Cyclops, Spider-Man and Electro. The packaging is gorgeous Love on them. all of them. Right. It's like. I have man, one that is Storm. Uh, that came out a while ago, a few months ago. And it is so cute because it's like the OG Storm in the like 80s packaging. Ugh, mm-hmm. so happy. Uh, you can check out uh, photos for all of this stuff on marvel.com and you can pre-order and pretty much get your hands uh, on all this stuff really soon. Yeah. There is going to be also coming up a new sword comic series by Al Ewing and Valerio Skeety. It's coming in December and it's going to be coming out of the aftermath of Ten of Swords, a.k.a. X of Swords. But this is going to be a cool uh, adventure for them, checking out what it's like to deal with all things extraterrestrial. Extra, extra, extraterrestrial. I can't say it. What's happening? Extra. Terrestrial, uh, on behalf of Earth, like Sword does, 
it's going to be a great cast. It's going to have Magneto and, of course, Abigail Brand, the head of S.W.O.R.D., uh, Cable, Frenzy, Wizkid, Fabian Cortez, the former Avenger Manifold, and a, a ton of fan-favorite mutant characters are going to be, you know, getting up in some space, getting into some trouble. I love this roster so stupid much. Abigail Brand, she's the best. The best. Magneto, the best. Cable, the best. Frenzy, she rules. I wish she, like, I'm excited for her to get more screen time because I don't think a lot of people know her very well, but mm-hmm. she's awesome. Wizkid, it's a legacy character, but I believe this is a new Wizkid, and it's awesome. Really cool designs that we show on the website. Fabian Cortez is one of my favorite 90s ex-villain scumbags. He's <laughs> the best. I... Just seeing that name got me so incredibly excited about this. And then Manifold, who's been in the Black Panther books mm-hmm. and was a favorite of Jonathan Hickman's to use in Avengers, Manifold friggin' rules, like mega teleporter. I love this cast so much. And that creative team is bonkers. Yeah, it's going to be so great. And um, if you actually need a little pick-me-up, a little refresher on S.W.O.R.D., um, Earth's Mightiest Show just put out an explainer, um, which you can watch on Marvel.com or Marvel social channels for a little re-up to get your brain going. All right, before we get into the interview this week, we want to say a big thanks to our sponsor... Marvel MasterCard. Start rewarding yourself for doing the things you love with the Marvel MasterCard. Learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. You can earn 3% cash back at comic book shops, restaurants, on digital streaming, and more. You can earn 1% cash back on all other purchases, too. With cash back paid as a statement credit, there's no limit on what you can earn. Marvelites will love this. You'll also get access to over 27,000 digital comics in the Marvel Universe with a free three-month subscription to Marvel Unlimited. Choose your card from one of six designs and start earning today. Terms and conditions apply. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply now. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. Oh, hey, you know what we didn't talk about yet, Ryan? Mm. Shang-Chi number one came out this Wednesday. It's uh, it's awesome, and it's got action, it's got humor, it's got family stuff. It's got it ferrets, is... it's got bananas, it's got <laughs> butterflies, it's got um, hula hoops, it's got roller skates, it's got Whoa. Laffy Taffy, it's got everything. Uh, some of that, I'm not fully sure, but I think it's okay. <laughs> yes, this, this book kind of does have so much of everything, and it's... Perfect if you are a Shang-Chi fan from like way back and you're like, oh, I used to read, you know, Deadly Hands or Master of Kung Fu. Or if you are brand new to the character because you're excited because you know big things are on the horizon for the character. It's a perfect way to jump in and learn about Shang-Chi's story and to really celebrate it this week. We have on Jean Luen Yang, who is the writer of the comic. Gene, thanks for joining us on This Week in Marvel. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to be here. Yeah, I was very excited. I, I first got excited about all, all the stuff with you coming to Marvel to write Shang-Chi because when um, American Board Chinese came out, I think I was still at Wizard Magazine. And that was what, 2005 or six? Yeah, it was 2006. 2006. So I think I was still there. That was like a book that a bunch of people were passing around. I used to do um, the independent comics beat at Wizard called um, The Secret Stash. I believe that's what we called it. I remember um, that. I totally yeah. remember that. Yeah. Oh, that was I, you. 
I, 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 I shepherded that around um, for like a year and a half, two years of the time that I was there because I, you know, I was like, I love independent comics. I love, you know, those kinds of stories and, and wanted to make sure we could get good spotlights. So I remember American Born Chinese coming out is like so good and everybody in the office talking about it. Um, but, you know, I think this is your first real big gig with Marvel. So kudos. Congratulations. Hello. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've been a Marvel fan since forever right the, the vast majority of the comics that i bought when i was a kid were marvel comics so to to do something for marvel now has just been amazing yeah you have such a cool story how did you first get sort of introduced to comics as a kid well the the very first comic i bought was a superman comic and that was i never heard of that guy <laughs> it wasn't my fault it totally was not my fault because <laughs> my um my mom took me to our local bookstore and the comic I really wanted was like this, I think it was like a Marvel, was it Marvel Team-Up or Marvel 2-in-1? Mm-hmm. Whichever one the thing was a part of, right? It was the two thing and, and Rom the Space Knight. That yeah. was the one I wanted, but my mom <laughs> would not buy it for me because she thought those two characters looked too scary. So she bought me Superman <laughs> instead, right? Superman doesn't look scary at all. But pretty soon after that, I, I just, I bought almost all Marvel comics for several years. For whatever reason, I just thought Marvel superheroes seemed cooler. Well, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Once you started to get in there, what did you start buying? Did you get back? Do you did you finally get that issue of Marvel Two and One? I I never got it as a kid, right? And Mm. as an adult, especially after American Born Chinese came out, I would do these school visits, and I would talk about how I never read that comic, even though that was the cover (laughs) that got me interested in the first place. So uh, after hearing that talk, one of my friends actually bought me an issue, so I have it. I have it in my collection, but I still haven't read it because I feel like it ruins that particular presentation, right? Because it just wants to feel sad for me that I never read that comic. But uh, but pretty soon after that, I mean, I, I remember uh, I got a bunch of Fantastic Fours when uh, She-Hulk was a part of the team. Yeah. The Spider-Man books. Yeah, the Spider-Man books that I was reading had Spider-Man dating the black cat. It was before he got married. When I was in high school, um, Peter David was writing the Hulk, and that was definitely my favorite. Yeah, those are years. those are some great stories and those like, are the, iconic. Yeah, um, did you make you you made your own comics as a kid? Is that right? I did, I did. I uh, so in fifth grade, you know, shortly after I got that Superman comic, I started making comics with uh, my best friend at the time. His his name is Jeremy Kunyoshi, and he was already like this veteran comic book geek. He had long boxes at his house. You know, I had like three issues, and he had long boxes. <laughs> uh, and we started making comics. So we mo- made mostly superhero comics. We did some, I don't know. I, I I feel like we just combined the things that we found around us. Right. We made this one comic called the Trans Smurfers, which was about these <laughs> Smurfs that could transform into robotic fruit. Um, I think that the main character, like that, the leader was Optimus Pineapple. Oh my gosh! Uh, but oh my we, gosh! Bring it back. I know. I still have that somewhere at my parents' house. Honestly, <laughs> that feels like something we would have published in the pages of like What, what the if, or, or yeah. Oh or yeah, parody. What the? I love <laughs> yeah. What the. I love Me what too. The. Do you do you remember there was um, Assistant Editors Month sometime during mm-hmm. the eighties? Remember mm-hmm. that? Oh yeah. yeah, those those are some of my favorites too. The the Fred Hembeck, uh, I think he did a spectacular Spider Man with the swirly knees. Yep. Yeah. Fred Hembeck um, has so many great little Marvel stories, and he does the, he did the roast of the Fantastic Four, which is a hoot. Uh, but Assistant Editors Month, Lorraine, maybe you do you remember if it was the SNL issue or the David Letterman issue that's part of Assistant Editors Month? I, think I have the David. You Letterman have that? Issue. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the David Letterman yeah. one. Oh, yeah, so good, so weird. So good. Yeah, yeah. It's so Wait. weird. Yeah. 
So when you were making Transmurfers, <laughs> the the motion picture film, um, no, when you were making Transmurfers, were you drawing or writing or doing a little bit of both? Because you're you're quite a talented artist as well. I'm okay. I appreciate you saying that. That's awesome. <laughs> you <laughs> are. You, you are. <laughs> but um, I was doing. So Jeremy and I would come up with the stories, and then I would do the pencils, and he would do the inks because we'd read and like. Uh, how to draw comics the Marvel way, that those were two separate jobs. So we had to treat them as two separate <laughs> jobs, right? And then his his mom would Xerox them for us and we'd staple these by hand and we'd sell them to our friends for like 50 cents a piece. Wow. We made eight bucks. It was awesome. It was super fun. I would like to put it on my pull list. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about how you, you know, actually came to work for Marvel now all these years from reading Marvel comics, you know, back in the day to now uh, actually, you know, penning the stories. Well, after I graduated from college, I started self-publishing my own books. Um, and then I would go to these trade shows. I'd meet other cartoonists. And I kind of came up, I, I, you know, I've spent my entire life in the Bay Area, but I kind of came up in the comics business with a, a group of other Bay Area cartoonists. And eventually I did a small project for Image Comics in the late 90s. And then I hooked up with First Second Books, who are the publishers of American Born Chinese um, in the early 2000s. So I've been with First Second ever since. And I, I think most of Pretty much all of my creator-owned stuff I, I do through them. But um, a few years ago, Darren Shan, who is now the editor of Shang-Chi, he called me up uh, about possibly working together. And our schedules never worked out, but for this one, it did. So I've been, I've been thrilled. It's been, it's been great. It's been a ton of fun. So how did you start to develop the idea for your Shang-Chi series? Well, he asked me for a pitch. And mm. I have to be honest, I was not a fan of Shang-Chi as a character. You know, I did go through, like a lot of immigrants' kids, right? I did go through this period of time where I felt kind of embarrassed of my own cultural heritage. I was embarrassed of my parents' accent. I was embarrassed about the ways in which I looked different from most of my other classmates. So to be like the Asian kid at the local comic book shop picking up the comic with like a Chinese hero in it just felt like I was highlighting all the stuff that made me different. So I really, like for a really long time, I just avoided him. And then it wasn't until I got into college, you know, I, I kind of started making peace with my cultural heritage that I, I became interested in Shang-Chi, you know. And um, I think the very first comic I read of Shang-Chi was um, the the Marvel Max series. I think it came out, I don't know, mm. late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere around Yeah, there. early mid 2000s, I think. Yeah, he wore all black leather, you know. And it was cool. I, the, the thing I remember the most about that comic was it really came across that the creative team cared about this character, you know, that their, their love came across. After Darren and I started talking, Darren sent me a whole bunch of old Shang-Chi comics. And I, I do have to say, like, I, I feel like it might have been a good choice for me to avoid at least some of them <laughs> when I was a kid, you know? Like, it's yeah. just uh, the history of American comics feels like the history of America. There are yeah. pieces that are just really rough to look at, right? Uh, and and Shang-Chi is no no different from any of that. But I, I, I do have to say that, you know, some of the stuff that impressed me in those early issues was the way they handled the action. I think they were just super creative. You know, it was Inglehart and Starlin, right, that did, did those early ones. And they were just super creative in the way they handled the fights, right? Some of them, they did a series of really narrow parent panels to get across the quickness of the action. And, and other ones, uh, other parts, they would use these like two-page splashes the pacing and, and even the way in which they handled their compositions was great. So we, we did try to bring some of that into our version of Shang-Chi. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I've read some of them. I read, you know, like there's a story with the cat who's this, you know, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a cool story. And like there's a lot a lot about the like the art and the layouts and the action are really cool. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of like our troubled past in, yeah. in comics is just as like you say, it's in in American history. And, you know, one of the things reading your new series, it was like, especially Shang-Chi's dad is very problematic and has a, a major history. But what I liked is like, we didn't just brush past and not have him as a part of the story. He is very integral into who, you know, Shang-Chi is and what his tale is. And it's just finding ways to work with that and tell yeah. that story, yeah. uh, which I really appreciated. Pretty much everything from the past is in play. Even the the problematic stuff, which means that we we had to figure out a way of you know, spinning Shang-Chi's dad to, to make, have, have a make sense to a, a modern audience. I just love this Shang-Chi. Like, I love your version of him. He's got like a really wonderful swagger about him where, where he is humble, but he's also got kind of like a vibe going. What sort of inspired this version of him as a character? Well, well thank you. You know, Shang-Chi began as like a, like a Bruce Lee knockoff. But my understanding of his of his origin is that Marvel Comics wanted to capitalize on the, the Bruce Lee craze in the 1970s, but they weren't able to get the license to do Bruce Lee comics. So they went after the next most prominent Chinese character in Western media, who was Fu Manchu, and they invented this original character, Shang-Chi, right, who was, who was his son. So for a swagger, I did look at, you know, Bruce Lee. I, I read a biography of him a while back that was amazing. Uh, and then uh, and that got me kind of on this like Bruce Lee obsession for a little bit where I was watching his old movies and stuff. And he definitely walks through, like he figured that out, you know, at a time when Asian American men in Western media were pretty much emasculated. He figured out a way of like making that accent kind of sexy, you know, and even the way he like enters into a screen. He, he definitely has this this presence about him. So I knew I wanted that. But but the thing about Bruce Lee is he's not humble at all. <laughs> you know, like he has swagger and he knows he has swagger. And he also is not like he's not afraid to be vocal about it. But I felt like Shang-Chi was a different kind of character. Recently, I've been reading about Taoism. You know, I'm not a Taoist, but I've been reading about Taoism. And there's this balance in Taoism that I, I wanted Shang-Chi to have. It, and it seemed like like they hint at it at those old comics, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the yin-yang symbol, which is the most prominent symbol in, in Taoist philosophy, is all over the place. But it didn't feel like it ever integrated into his, uh, his personality, or at least not to the extent that I wanted. So I wanted him to have like this real swagger about him, but be balanced by, by humility. I want to touch on a little bit more on, you know, some of the other influences, things you, other stuff you looked at, you know, that, that Bruce Lee of it all. But there's a lot of world building that's going on here because, um, yes, we have some history with, with the character and his world, but it's been a long time and it feels like this is kind of the perfect point for someone who is like, I just want to read about this character and start fresh and here's where we go. And there's so much cool stuff. Where did you start to think about, all right, here's here's how I want to build the world around him? Well, that's that's our hope. Our hope is that this is a real jumping on point to for, for anyone who's interested in the character. You know, I think with the announcement of the upcoming movie, Shang-Chi really became the most prominent Asian-American superhero, right? He, he became the most recognizable Asian-American superhero. And he's not like his movie's not even out yet. So it's it's kind of an astounding thing. So we wanted to make this this book as new reader friendly as possible. 
Um, we knew we had to keep those big pieces. We needed to keep his his father a supervillain. We needed to keep him as somebody who was bent on taking over the the, the Western world. We needed to keep Shang-Chi's big pieces, like the big pieces of his past that he moves over to, to America at some point. He kind of has a change of heart about his family and um, he joins the Avengers. All that stuff is, is still in play. But what we really wanted to do was kind of fill out his character by filling out his his supporting cast. This was something that that kind of came out of out of Darren actually. He was like, you know, like his dad's been around a long time, right? And he's also like this powerful, charismatic guy. He most likely had a bunch of other kids. So what if we what if we run with that? And that's that's kind of how it built out. One of the things that we wanted to build the story around was the idea of the elements. So I did a bunch of writing for um, the Avatar Last Airbender comics. So those those shows, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of those shows. They're built around elements, but they're actually built around the four Western elements. And for Shang-Chi, we wanted to build his story around the five Eastern elements. So it's never talked about explicitly in the story. But in the story, Shang-Chi comes out of this cult that's called the Five Weapons Society. And that's the cult. That's the true name of the cult that his father's been running for all of these centuries. And the Five Weapons are are loosely correlated with the five elements in traditional Chinese medicine. And those, and those in turn map onto the personalities of the different siblings that we meet throughout the story. I'm glad that you mentioned about, you know, how, how very old his father is, because that simple fact sort of immediately pulls us into this cool possibility where there's sort of like magic and maybe like folklore is real, um, which is like, that's my jam. That's my, my state spot. But how were you maybe influenced by sort of folklore or magic? Um, I don't want to spoil anything about the series, but there's like some cool stuff for you guys. And I'm excited for you guys to read it. Oh, so, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm really into that, too. I think magical realism is one of my favorite genres to both read and, and, and to work in. So that was definitely something that was on my mind. Uh, years ago, I did a I did a graphic novel called uh, Boxers and Saints, which is set during the Boxer Rebellion. And the Boxer Rebellion sits right in the middle of this period of Chinese history called the Century of Humiliation, that they refer to as the Century of Humiliation. And that's really where China lost its standing in its conflict with, with Western countries. And Fu Manchu actually comes out of that period. You know, I kind of think of Fu Manchu as almost like, like he functions the way ghosts function in ghost stories. You know, in a lot of ghost stories, the ghost is there as like uh, an embodiment of this thirst for vengeance. And that's why I, I kind of think that, you know, in Sax Romer's original version of Fu Manchu, that's exactly what he was. Like the British kind of felt guilty about the Opium Wars and, and even the Boxer Rebellion. And then this, uh, this Fu Manchu character comes up as the embodiment of the, their guilt. And the whole story, like like every single Fu Manchu story is about how the British are able to keep this vengeful figure at bay. You know, it's almost like a like a comforting thing, like our, the sins of our past are not going to affect us now. So I wanted some of that in the story. You know, I wanted I wanted some of that in the story. And that's why we, we do reference the Boxer Rebellion in there. And, and even the structure of the Five Weapons Society, the, the society that's run by Shang-Chi's father, is in some ways it becomes a response to what happened during the Boxer Rebellion. In terms of the magic, um, magic is just part of the Marvel Universe. You know, it's always <laughs> been a part of the Marvel Universe. So it has to come up. It, it has to feel like a Marvel comic. 
I want to get back to the so the, the family stuff because you know so much of this is about family relationships and family discord and you know as i was reading this we get introduced to some some great characters i would love for you to tell us a little bit about the different characters we meet specifically um shang chi's like family members but for me as someone who i have three that i know of um half brothers and sisters and so like this idea of you know family that you didn't even know of because i only met the brother and sister that i'm close with in like 2006, 2007 for the first time. And so having those relationships and sometimes they're weird and sometimes they're great. And sometimes, you know, like they're difficult. That part of it, like that struck a chord with me as I was reading this. And I really dug that part of it. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the relationship stuff and uh, particularly some of these family members? Sure, sure. So so one of the siblings that we meet is a full sister to Shang-Chi. So they share both parents um, and she's the main protagonist. Her name is Sister Hammer. So um, she's super tall, super strong, completely bald. We had a lot of fun designing her look. And really, we wanted to bring out both the sibling love and the sibling rivalry with that particular relationship. The other siblings that we meet, um, there's one named Sister Dagger, who's this 13-year-old girl who's super good at throwing knives. And then um, Brother Saber is an expert at using any kind of bladed weapon. And they're half-siblings. To, to Shang-Chi. So each of them has kind of a, a different relationship. Brother Saber is a huge fan of Shang-Chi and Sister Dagger is not, you know, and, and we want to kind of show the tension of, of Shang-Chi interacting with his family again. Uh, really, I, I thought of this story as a, as, a fam, as a story about family dysfunction. Like, what do you do as an adult <laughs> Once you've extracted yourself from the dysfunction that you grew up with, what do you do when that dysfunction starts coming at you again? You know, and that's that's kind of what's happening with with Shang-Chi. I just feel like a lot of us deal with that, right? <laughs> like, that's so common. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I have a really dark and brooding question for you. What is your favorite place to get crystal cakes, specifically in New York City, if I were to go get one? Oh, New York I'm City. Mi- I don't know. They've got to have don't... it in Chinatown, right? They've got to have oh, it in yeah. Chinatown. I, I was trying to think about this because I was like, I don't know that I've, I probably have eaten crystal cakes, but I don't, I, I don't know. And then like you mentioned, like there was a bunch of food mentioned and the sesame balls, like is my, like, oh, sesame balls I will die jam. for sesame balls. And now it reminds me that I haven't eaten them in years and I'm, it makes me very sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can find it, like, on the West Coast, you can find it in almost any Chinese bakery, right? Like, if, if you go to any Chinese bakery, usually when they sell uh, sesame balls, they'll also be selling crystal cakes. I bet you could find it in, in your Chinatown. Do you have a favorite place in San Francisco? When I was uh, a kid, we would go to San Francisco almost every weekend. We'd go, we'd go to, to Chinatown. And um, we would always stop at this restaurant that did also sell some bakery items called Silver Restaurant. I'm not sure they're still around. Um, I should mention that crystal cakes are a thing uh, within Shang-Chi's world. They come up um, a bunch of times in the, in the, in the it, first couple of issues. Was there any reason to crystal cakes or were you just a little hungry? Yeah, I, I think um, this definitely is not unique to Chinese people. But Chinese people love expressing emotion through food. Right. Like, that's just like, like your, your parents are never going to tell you they love you, but they're going to like give you some roast duck or something. And, and I wanted to I wanted to do that with Shang-Chi and his family as well. Oh, that speaks to me. Um, <laughs> you were you were talking a little bit about the the action of the older comics before. And one of the things that I loved about, you know, this the this story that I love, it's like 
it has that fast action and but it also has the humor and it has the family aspects that we're talking about and it reminded me so much of of just like great Hong Kong action movies that I love, like Tai Chi Master. I can see bits and pieces of, of like Jet Li stuff from you know late eighties and early nineties, or like Legend of Drunken Master. There's like relationship stuff with family members in there that like is so good. Um, or the scene where he's um, where Shang Chi is like wrapping up all the the the, the bakery oh, yeah. items, and I was like, <laughs> it, it's like. It felt like this was out of a Stephen Chow movie, you know, like or it could have been uh, like a more recent one. And it was it was so cool. Like the vibe there reminds me so much of, of some of my favorite movies. So I was really excited to see that come across. Well, I mean, a, a lot of that is because Darren uh, found some awesome artists for, for us to work with. Uh, Philip Tan does the flashback scenes and he and I have been friends for a while. We kind of worked together when we were uh, on, on New Superman for, for GC Comics, which is the, the Chinese Superman. Uh, and I've wanted to do a project with him, like a, a more in-depth project with him for a really long time. So I'm so thrilled that I got to do this. Philip is um, of Chinese descent, but he lives in uh, the Philippines and he's definitely more connected to Chinese culture and to uh, like even Chinese pop culture than I am. So a lot of times if I have a question about what things are actually like in, in China, um, I'll ask him and he'll totally know. And he's also kind <laughs> of like an amateur Chinese historian too. I'll be like, you know, in, in the early Qing dynasty, would this be true? And he'd be like, oh yes, or he'd say, oh no. So it's been, it's been great to have him on the team. The, the, most of the pages in each issue are handled by DK Ruan, who is a Chinese Italian um, and he and Darren had worked together before. I wasn't as familiar with his work, but he is great. I mean, his his stuff, I feel like he's able to balance emotion with with action, right? Like when, when the action scenes are happening, you really feel the action. But then the way he handles his facial expressions, there's just a real like likability to the way he draws his characters. And I've, I've, I've been so thrilled. Like every time I get one of a, a page from either of those guys, it's like my favorite day of the week, you know? What is it like for you, besides having a lot less work, sharing sharing the the drawing load with an artist? And I mean, the craziest thing to me when I read a comic script is always that you have to describe the entire world so somebody else can be the other half of that puzzle, which is wild to me. What is that process like for you? Well, I, you know, so some projects that I work on, I both write and draw and other ones, I only do the writing and somebody else handles the art. Art takes so much time you know so I uh when I'm writing especially if I write in like a like a crowd scene or something I always feel a little bit guilty (laughs) but not guilty enough to not do it you know uh and 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 I have to say like especially with something like Shang-Chi there's just I don't draw like that at all there's no way I can draw like that so to to get to work with Philip and and DK has been a, a thrill in a lot of ways each script with each script I kind of get to know the artist a little bit more. So as I go on with the scripts, I can include less and less in the scripts because I can trust that they're going to do things a, a certain way, right? But at least in the beginning, you do. I, I do feel like you have to lay down um, a pretty solid foundation. So I like to include references. I like to include like web links and sometimes they'll even embed uh, images in my script just to, just to get things across. Any um, last tease you want to give for the rest of the series as uh, folks get ready to read more of uh, the Shang-Chi series? Well, one of the things that the creative team talked about at the very beginning when we first started working on this is we want to leave 
Shang-Chi by the end of these five issues in a pretty prominent place in the Marvel Universe. So we hope we do that. That's our goal. I can't wait for everyone to read it. You're going to have so much fun, you guys. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you both. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, thank you, Gene, for hanging out with us. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you for inviting me. Big thanks to Jean Luen Yang, uh, who is, as Lorraine said before we get into the interview, a ding-dang delight. It is uh, The book is great. He is great. The art is great. Everything about it is terrific. Hope you guys check out Shang-Chi number one. Let us know what you think using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Now, we've got to get into our question of the week in our community section. So next week, our guests will be Rise of Ultraman writers Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. And they'll be talking about the brand new Ultraman comic, which is a favorite of mine personally. And I know Lorraine is uh, is very excited about it as well. Mm-hmm. She got to see, you got to see so much cool Ultraman stuff when you were in Japan. I am infinitely jealous. I did. I have a little Ultraman in my house. Uh, but we, we're going to have them on talking about Ultraman. And Ultraman is a big, cool um, sort of superhero. And he fights giant kaiju. Now, I was thinking for our question of the week to everyone out there, if you were a kaiju, what would your name be? Think about that, and then you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. I, Lorraine. I, I know what my kaiju name would be. Uh-oh. Do it. it. it would be... <laughs> <laughs> Just be a sound. <laughs> Can I, can I hear it one more time? <laughs> okay, so we've got... <laughs> yeah, it has to be a little bit off of breath because you have allergies, though. <laughs> what, what would yours be, Ryan? Um, I feel like now we have to go with just some sort of sound, so I would just be like a giant kaiju yelling my name, Ryan! Ooh, Ryan is actually a really good kaiju name. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like R-R-Y-A-A-A-A-N done i like that perfect uh yeah this would be i'm excited to see uh some other kaiju names as y'all send them to us um but let's see what's going on in the community section we asked you guys last week uh who your favorite marvel martial artist is uh as we ramped up for our shang chi talk so let's see what we got here uh, Steve Agnew at Viking Prince said, I would have to go with Taskmaster as my favorite martial artist since ever since his debut back in Avengers number 195. His ability to mimic anyone's physical abilities is astounding. I realize he's been enhanced, but uh, would we see him on Krakoa? Ooh, is, mm. is Tony Masters uh, a, which I just is like the best name. <laughs> so ridiculous. Masters. Uh, Oh, oh man. boy, I don't think he's classified as a mutant. Yeah, I don't know. But it, but then again, he has that astounding ability unexplained, so he very well could be. But I don't think that it's ever been actually um, explored in the canon. Great question. Yeah, I know he's fought Deadpool a lot. I think he just, it's just one of the. It's not like mutant gene activated power. It's just like he's just real good. I'm a person. Yeah, I got things and stuff. Um, but Taskmaster's a, a great... He's got things uh, and stuff. Yo, it's and... me, Taskmaster. I, I got things and stuff. I'm going to design a new shield for him. I was just going to say the big T, and then under it in little print, it's going to say, I got things and stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, Give us a comic uh, book. 
<laughs> Shout out to our, our pal and Earth's Mightiest Show co-host Langston Belton, who loves Taskmaster. Truth. Uh, we got another tweet in here from Bradley at this Bradley T, who says, my favorite martial artist is probably either Psylocke, and he um, specifies Quanon, who is the... I like started to think about how I can explain that to anyone who doesn't know the owner Psylocke. of the body of Psylocke. Yes. Uh, anyway, that's good. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it at that. Um, he's a Psylocke or Laura Kinney, AKA X 23, AKA Wolverine. So he says uh, their ninja skills slash Japanese martial arts in most of their panels just look so sleek in comics and it feels elegant. Psylocke is a great choice. Um, mm. I think Laura more of like uh, a, a sort bulldozer. of brawler. Yeah. Brawler. Yeah. Yeah, like she's, you know, she's Wolverine's daughter and she's just like, you know, snick snicked, just f- knives flying everywhere. Um, but she is so much lighter than Wolverine. Yeah. Wolverine, you, like she, her fighting style is a lot lighter because she's a smaller lady. You know, the, the thing I always think about, though, is their bones are laced with unbreakable adamantium. Mm-hmm. They have to weigh a good, like, 500 pounds each yeah well one of the things that made me laugh so hard i can't remember which wolverine movie it is but you know logan gets on somebody's stolen motorcycle and the whole carriage goes because he weighs like (laughs) a jillion pounds and i was like chef's kiss perfect yes that's the way it should be i always think about that it's like when somebody picks wolverine up i'm like you have to be really strong to even or like when you punch him in the face it's gonna hurt you more than it's gonna hurt him yeah i think about this stuff a lot lorraine don't let wolverine sit on your lap you won't have any knees or let them <laughs> say goodbye to those knees, but what fun! <laughs> All right, next up, John Swindle at the Swindler ninety said, "Favorite Marvel martial artist is definitely Echo. Such an awesome character. Loved her as Ronan in New Avengers, and love her as Alt Universe version in the prequel novel for the Spider Man PS four game." Yeah, good yeah. deep cut there, John. Yeah, that is a good um, deep yeah. cut. She's she is pretty badass, honestly. I really enjoyed her as Ronan as well. Yeah, Echo, she rules. And if anybody's never seen her first appearances, she yeah. appeared first in Daredevil by um Joe Casada. I think it was David Mack and Joe who were doing those issues. It was right before Brian Michael Bendis came on. It was like in that period, it was right after Kevin Smith's run. Um, but the art by Joe in those issues is astounding it is breathtaking at times i was re-looking at it last year for whatever reason it's incredible it's you know if you go back to that 1998 1999 time period for daredevil it's gonna knock your socks off when you see those first echo um issues all right um we got a tweet from our pal rodrigo in brazil who sent us a rap song thank you for that rodrigo always a pleasure to hear from you yeah and we got uh a tweet from app Sinclair Bryan, who said, more singing, please, next podcast this week in Marvel. Oh, well, welcome to the show. You want us to sing? Oh, we'll sing. Some, somewhere James James Eigelhart is just shaking his head. <laughs> just like, oh, what, what are these two yahoos doing? His nose started bleeding. He's like, what? Oh, no. Oh, no. There's a disturbance in the <laughs> musical force. We can sing for you all day long here on This Week in Marvel. See? <laughs> when we make up our own songs, we can do whatever we want. Because we own the rights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody's coming for these rights. We, yep. we got nope. them. They're like, no, please take these rights. Absolutely not. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Oh, this one is really nice, Ryan. From Lance Presley at GL Presley said, I've loved hearing about your baby. We too have recently adopted, but I just noticed the symbol on her toy. And frankly, I'm worried. So Lance also sent a picture and Lance, uh, I know I tweeted to you already, but congratulations. Adoption is the best. Babies rule even um, when they are a lot. Uh, Hey, look, my daughter slept all through last night. She woke up at 7 a.m. this morning. It was terrific. I feel like a person again. Uh, But on uh, the toy that Lance tweeted a picture of, it has the exact symbol of null, like the the starting in the middle and then the like the like the expanding. Null, the god symbiote. Who is yep. not nice boy? Uh-oh. AKA the king in black. Yeah. Writes TM, Lorraine and Ryan. <laughs> uh, Lance, uh, you know what? Just give your whole family up to Null, and I think you're going to be fine. That's a lot of power. Maybe you'll get a symbiote hey, out of it. Maybe the symbiote can babysit. Look, nobody's going to mess with your kid when the symbiote is babysitting. It'll eat any intruders or bad people or Or bugs or anything. Or delivery people. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we got this message from Jenny Huang on our Facebook page who said, I am listening right now to the podcast back in the early 90s. I've read from the ashes twice. I also read the Age of Apocalypse series. I was amazed by Professor X. He was the first disabled hero that I ever read. It was amazing to see a person in a wheelchair leading a band of heroes. I hope one day that there will be a tactile comic book. Thanks for mentioning Daredevil. He is my favorite martial artist. Those are great messages, Jenny. Thank you so much for sending yeah. them. I Yeah, I, you know, I feel like there... Ha- I feel like there would have been I imagine there's been some braille in a in a comic at some point, you know, some a tactile. Yeah. And if there if there isn't, you are totally right, Jenny. I hope there is one at some point. I think that's a that's a cool way to tell a story and Yeah, maybe we can know. dive in and and figure out if that exists somewhere. Yeah. That'd be great. Let's we'll we'll figure it out. We'll we'll see if we can get back to you, Jenny, about that and uh, I'm I'm glad you sent us these messages. Thank you so yeah. much. That about wraps it up for us now. And this episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Percy of Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Jean Grey's Jeans, the pants that can read your mind. When you need a pair of jeans, try Mutant Jeans. I have a lot of thoughts going on. I'm going to leave them on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Jeans! <laughs> <laughs>